fact that I traded one uniform for another. Um, and really that's what I did. Welcome to Shop Talk with your hosts, Chief Jeff Walther and Sergeant Kevin Kwan. Hey everyone, welcome to the 19th episode. Yes, yes Kevin and I can't believe the 19th episode of Shop Talk with Chief Jeff Walther. I am he. <laughs> <laughs> We're excited. Yeah, we are excited. 19th episode. Uh, great <laughs> guest on, one of our own, Detective Tom Hauk, who's a, a former professional baseball player, and uh, we're excited to have him on because we're going to, as always, we want to connect uh, spring training with, uh, and this year, with one of our folks who actually understands the game and, and played professionally, and uh, I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, but hey, it's, uh, it's the end of February. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Halfway. Uh, from last month, those of our listeners who listened to uh, our conversation, our podcast with Pat Williams, who who uh, ran the ran the big show for the WM Phoenix Open. It was great uh, having him on uh, last month. And I am happy to say that Kevin and I are both still alive yes. uh, after the uh, WM, WM Phoenix yeah. Open and, uh, and all of the Super Bowl activities in Scottsdale. In fact, we had another uh, record-setting year. Yeah. Open. And it was an epic Super Bowl too to kind of cap the entire week great for game. us. We saw we yeah. saw great golf on Sunday for the the finish with Scotty Scheffler winning, and then a fantastic game that led into uh, Old Town and all the events yeah. that happened in Old yeah. Town. So it was yeah. really really awesome. Very busy for us. Uh, we wound up seeing about one point two seven five million people. <laughs> just, uh, just an estimate. One point two seven five. Just an estimate <laughs> uh, that, that came through the open. Yeah. Uh, interesting. You know, I just shared this in a East and West Valley Chiefs meeting. Uh, today out in Glendale, that uh, we thought we had about 400,000 people on Saturday, mm-hmm. right? And then we heard, we got info from Verizon, T-Mobile, and AT&T. Yeah. That uh, they had on that day at the Open Footprint Saturday, the big day, they had 480,000 individual cell phone hits throughout the day. That's incredible. We're like, okay, we uh, we were wrong in our estimate uh, by uh, by a few tens of thousands of people. Right. So, um, which made the WM Phoenix open on that Saturday, the largest single attended single day attended sporting event in the world wow. behind, uh, I always forget. Is it the, it's the Daytona 500 or is it the Annapolis 500? It's one of those right. related that they get 350,000 people on site during that day. And, uh, we beat that by a lot, by a lot. Right. Crazy. Yeah. And that's all from our partnerships that we can actually handle that and and to have something so so large. It was a great day. Saturday was a great day. The, the you know every day of the week was great. The practice runs on Monday, yeah. Tuesday, the pro am on on Wednesday, and then the uh, the tournament got started on Thursday. And the crowds just kept getting bigger and bigger. And so other than the uh, other than the quasi streaker who jumped into the into the lake yep. uh, on Saturday. Um, now I always tell people like, well, how busy was it? What happened? I said, well, we had. On Saturday, we had about 155 calls for service internal uh, to the to the location, uh, 88 ejections and 18 arrests. The big number I like to use is that on Saturday, because of all the Super Bowl related events, that we were outside of the footprint of the open, we responded to our patrol folks responded to 1,013 calls for service on that Saturday. Really? Yeah, 1,013. Our average call for service volume on an average day is between 500 and 650, and that's citizen-generated and officer-generated calls for service, but we hit over 1,000 on Saturday. Wow. For one day. That's great. So 
the big thing thankfully that, it's over. Right. Yeah. The the big thing that we noticed really this year was you talked about the crowds and it was like a, a sea of people that were on specific missions. It wasn't people going off doing their own things. It was, Hey, I want to go to look at this venue and how the WM is really built up this year. It was yeah. really cool yeah. to see just the the wave and the influx of the people following their favorite golfers and, and paying attention to the parties yeah. and stuff like that. So it was really, really cool. And I know I get grief when I say, Oh, I'm glad it's over. Well, I'm glad that it's here in Scottsdale. I'm glad that Scottsdale is the uh, the epicenter for a lot of great, big, special events right. and great nightlife. I love the vibrancy of all that. But for our listeners out there, you have to understand the amount of time, effort, and energy that goes into the planning, right. into the preparation, and then everybody in the, in the Scottsdale Police Department and our partners from around the valley, law enforcement agencies around the valley, are all working it. Uh, our folks aren't on... We, we block off, you can't take vacation days or take time off. Everybody's working right on the weekends. I'm there and I'm in the, I'm in the EOC. Everybody's busy. Everybody's doing things. And so we're happy that it's here. We love it. It's very vibrant. It's a great event, but we're also exhausted and glad when it's over. And so another successful season, kudos to everybody uh, in the PD uh, and our fire partners and city partners who did a lot of great work on this and shout out to all of our, uh, our local federal and state partners who uh, who really threw a lot of resources our way to help us out. So, right. Chief's guest today comes to us from within our organization, from calculating the math of when to hit and catch the baseball in the big leagues to the math of the streets, where he's assisted with over 125 serious injury and fatal crashes and has been the primary investigator on over 60 of those with over 900 hours of vehicle crash-related education courses that include specialized training in pedestrian, bicycle, and motorcycle crashes. Please welcome Detective Tom Houck to Shop Talk. Uh, so we're happy to have uh, Detective Tom Hauk from our v- VCRU, our Vehicular Crimes Reconstruction Unit. But Tom has been here a long time and is a former uh, former professional baseball player. And yeah. so I'm going to stop doing all the talking and you need to stop doing all the talking as well. And we'll let Tom introduce himself and kind of give us his background of uh, of kind of how, how he came to be a VCRU detective uh, and that, and that uh, trip from from professional baseball into uh, into a Scottsdale PD officer and then detective. Tom, welcome. Thank you, Chief. Uh, honored to be here, and thank you for the invite. You bet. So uh, I'm Detective Tom Houck. I've been with the agency now uh, in two days. will be 23 years. Wow. Thank you. Yeah, thank <laughs> you. Started out as a patrol officer and uh, spent seven years, almost to the day that I was hired. Uh, was fortunate and got transferred to the traffic section as a motorcycle officer. Um, did that for roughly seven years okay. and then I had the opportunity, uh, to move back to the detective side of the traffic unit and did a lot of studying and going through classes and got over a thousand hours of training and wow. ended up back there. And so I've been back there ever since, you know, I would, I, I, th- I don't think even in my career, early in my career, I understood all that went into reconstructing a, a collision, especially a fatal collision or serious injury collision, right. and the amount of math, like yes. trig- like trigonometry, and you know when you're talking about vehicle, vehicle dynamics and the dynamics of a crash, and and uh, wow, can you can you just kind of give the, our listeners just an idea of of all that goes into what you uh, what you do as uh, as a VCRU detective? Because I, I I would tell you that. I think the vast majority of people, not just in the organization, right? Even our officers and other detectives, but in the citizenry have no idea 
the uber intelligent people, the very, you know, and, and the, the technology and the skills you bring to bear in, uh, in reconstructing and investigating a fatal traffic collision. Well, I can say that uh, it's an ever-changing uh, world. Uh, it's constantly being studied by various uh, folks from all over the world. In fact, I'm getting ready to go down to the World uh, Reconstruction Expo down in Florida. Uh, there's folks from all over the world that wow. will be there attending that. Um, they do mock crashes. Uh, the year I went five years ago uh, when they had the last one, and uh, they actually ran a semi-tractor down a wow down a runway basically it was out on an old air force base ran a tractor probably 40 miles per hour into a moving uh sedan and slammed it into the back of a tractor trailer wow so that's the kind of studies that they do uh, and work on just to show and, and those aren't uncommon we just recently had one on on the i-10 right where that happened and where a semi ran into the back of a couple cars and pushed it into another tractor trailer yeah. and it was a big fire uh, down near Chandler Boulevard. So it's it's not uncommon to see those types of crashes. So it's, it was interesting to see that live, uh, even though it was mock and it was, you know, well-trained and everything was safety, but to see that in the, in the amount of force that goes into that crash was yep. absolutely amazing. Yep. So the thousand hours I've been through, I've taken everything from human factors uh, to pedestrian crashes to bicycle crashes, uh, two vehicles coming together at different angles, um, so there's a lot of input and, and training that goes into that as well as, you know, the studies that we do uh, on our own. Um, and then when you throw in all the equipment that we have to, to put into that, yeah. uh, just in the, in the nine years that I've been back there, we've gone through three different surveying, uh, equipment. So you gotta learn all the technology and how to, how to operate it and, and, and then be able to use all the software yeah. and all that information. And then we were fortunate enough to get drones now. Yeah. So I had to actually get my part 107 uh, license. Right, your FAA <laughs> license. Yeah, <laughs> which is the same license that a normal pilot would have to go yeah. through the written portion of it. Obviously, I'm not doing any airtime uh, with a manned right. legs, but, but at the same time, it's a pretty intense uh, uh, class that you have to go through in order to pass that test. Yeah. So You know, it's interesting because, and you mentioned the drone part, I think, drones and, and, uh, and lasers and all, all kinds of things that – you know, I think that people just don't have an idea or understanding of, and the, the question I get most often or the emails that I get or phone calls I get in the chief's office is, um, why has the intersection been closed or why has the roadway been closed for four or five hours? Yes. And you see that around the valley. And can you kind of speak to that? And, and uh, again, I think that just leads us down the road of, of how in-depth some of these investigations are and why it takes four or five hours to, to get the road opened again. Right. Well, you're looking at a fatal crash, uh, uh, or even a serious injury crash, you have human beings that are involved in these crashes. Yeah. And obviously we want to make sure that justice is served right, wrong, or otherwise. Yeah, um, and it's no different than any other type of homicide or a suicide or anything like that. Yeah. You know, we, it takes a lot of, uh, a lot of time and, and precise information that we have to gather. And so when we get called out, you know, sometimes we may be at home at two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. So by the time we get there, half hour to an hour has already gone by. And that doesn't include the 30 minutes of travel time from the crash to the hospital to right. check on injuries right. before we even get called out. So, you know, there's an hour right there. Yeah. Uh, but once we arrive on scene again, we're looking at all the, we, all the dynamics that's going into this crash. And we got to make sure that we get all the precise information uh, so that we're you know, not missing anything. 
Because if you think about it, if it's your family member, you don't want to make sure you want to make sure that we do everything correctly. Absolutely. Right? Um, and then we got to make sure that we uh, once we get all that information, we got to document it accordingly. We got to use surveying equipment, make sure our measurements are correct, yeah. um, bring all that information back to the office. So um, a lot of that time, you know, it, it is time consuming. And depending on the dynamics of the crash, it could be anywhere from four or five, sometimes six hours, yeah. uh, especially when you got multiple vehicles involved. I always find it fascinating the the dynamics and the force that vehicles can do even with each other and and striking an object. I mean, we we know that there's been vehicles that have flipped going as little as 15 miles an hour. And then you see the the more incredible speed crashes that you see and they're flipping five, six times in the air before they come to rest. And then it's your guys' job to piece all of that together with no video cameras, right? Like that's the fascinating part is you guys are able to do that based on what you find in your experiences. So it's fascinating. Yeah. I, I just think it's, you, you hit the nail on the head that I think is so important, Tom. And that is, you know, I, I don't think, I don't think people look at sometimes look at these collisions the same way as like a, a homicide. And that's what some of many of these yeah, are is, right. is that these are vehicular homicides and you have to treat, um, this is a crime scene. And just like any other crime scene, if somebody had been shot and killed or stabbed and killed, we're going to be out at that scene for a long time uh, collecting and processing evidence. It's no different. This is just as important. This is um, just as high level of a crime in many instances um, as, as what people want, want to watch TV about, right? I call murdertainment. And so, um, so but your, your discussion about um, we have to do right by the victims and their families. We have to provide... Um, a level of justice and a quality investigation that uh, I, I think our citizenry demands from us. And uh, you, you guys have always been the consummate professionals and experts in the field and, the, and kind of that go-to people, I think, in the Valley, to be honest with you. We've always had that reputation of just being incredibly squared away in VCRU. And so um, I, I don't know, it's, it's, a, it's a tough job, but uh, somebody's got to be a master of it, and that's you and, and, and everybody else in VCRU. And so Thanks to you and the and the folks over there. But the question is going to be is, how did you go from the baseball field, yeah. you know, to, uh, to to getting involved in this? And can I can you kind of tell us about, um, you know, your 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 baseball career? I'm sure you started young, and and how you, how you got to uh, to play at the professional level. Um, well, obviously, baseball has always been my first love. Uh, growing up as a small kid and and leading all the way up through high school and even in the college, uh, baseball was my number one. Um, I even had a kid in high school my senior year saying, what are you going to do when baseball ends? Mm -hmm. I said, I have no idea. <laughs> I said, at this point in time, I'm just focused on this year and I'll figure that out when as time goes. So I was very fortunate. I played high school ball back in Bloomington, Illinois, Bloomington High School, and Illinois State University was literally right next door. And uh, I had an opportunity to take a scholarship with the Illinois State University Redbirds. Um, my first year I get there and there's eight shortstops. Wow. I, was a, I was a shortstop. And so his mentality was that most of your shortstops were your better athletes in high school. And he figured he can convert you and move you over to another location. Yeah. So um, I quickly got moved over to third base, which was fine. Um, but I wasn't playing every day. I was a freshman. And, yeah. and his thought was it, it, it'll break you down and build you back up by the time you're a junior <laughs> it's like senior. The military. <laughs> exactly. So... Uh, one of the other uh, freshmen that was a pitcher uh, was from Springfield, Illinois, and he decided that 
this wasn't for him. And he had an opportunity to go back to play junior, junior college down at Lincoln land community college. And one of my, uh, seniors when I was a sophomore, uh, that was what he did. He went straight to the junior college down, down in Springfield. And he said, you know, it's a good opportunity down there. The coaches squared away. In fact, the coaches down there played under the, the, or the Illinois state coach. So, um, He's like, I'm going down there. I've already got it set up. And the shortstop that's down there now is going to be moving on to a four-year next year. So there's an opportunity yeah. for you to step right in and play. Especially because so, you want to play every day, right? Absolutely. You, yeah. you know, that's where you get your experience. Yeah. You know, you're not getting much experience sitting on the bench. And so I thought, well, you know, why not? And it was probably going to be a little cheaper, too, because yeah. my scholarship only paid for tuition because yeah. I was living at home. And, and so oh, that was yeah. kind of an interesting, you know, living at yeah. home and not really getting the true college, college life. Yeah. And so uh, I moved uh, 60 miles south and played uh, fortunate with the Lincoln Land Community College and I uh, was fortunate if I got drafted uh, at the end of that season. Uh, there was So was that, was that at the end of your junior season? My sophomore year. Oh, sophomore actually. year. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So I basically played my freshman year at Illinois State, only played a couple games here and there and and then I transferred to the junior college and played every day and did well and got drafted. Wow. So good move then. Good choice. I thought so. Yeah. Uh, so I was fortunate. The, uh, the Minnesota twins, uh, scout that was there, uh, Ellsworth Brown, everybody called him Brownie. Everybody knew him as Brownie and he'd been around the game for many, many years, older gentleman. And, uh, he saw enough that he, he saw me in high school, but then he kept with me and, and then actually drafted me in the 27th round back in 1989. Wow. So very fortunate. I got the phone call saying, Hey, we drafted you. Uh, we'd like to come by and talk details. And so about a day or two went by and shows up at my parents' house. And <laughs> that's great. We sat down and here I am 19 years old, scared to death, not knowing what I'm getting myself into. And <laughs> 19 years old and multi-million dollar signing bonus. Oh, wait a minute. No, wait a minute. That was 1989. No, that probably didn't happen. <laughs> not, not in the 27th round. Probably <laughs> 27th round. So how many rounds are there? Uh, it depends on the, uh, excuse me, it depends on the year Okay, and it depends on, uh, uh, what the needs are as far as the organizations, because okay. some will actually take more positions than others, depending on the needs. So, so you get drafted. Where do you go? How does it, how does it go from there? I mean, you sign, right? You yeah. sign, you, now you're going right. to, you're actually going to be making some money playing, playing, you know, for your, your number, you know, your, the love of your life. You're, you're getting paid to play baseball. Right. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, until you find out what I'm getting paid. (laughs) (laughs) So here I am, uh, 19 years old. I signed my first contract. Uh, Two days later, I get uh, information that I'm going to be flying down to Sarasota, Florida. I'm reporting the next day. Oh, wow. Uh, They sent me my plane ticket and gave me a name and a phone number, and off I go. Wow. So I fly fly in. I use that phone number. I find a pay phone (laughs) because... Cell phones didn't right, really exist. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I go to the airport. I make the phone call. Hey, I'm here. About an hour later, a trainer shows up. And then two other guys got on the little van with me, and we're off to uh, a little efficiency hotel that they put us up in. Wow. So it's, I spent two a, weeks. It's a new adventure. Yeah. So I spent two weeks in a little mini camp, um, myself and you know, several others that were drafted along with the guys that they put in what they call extended spring training. And I'll get to that here. We get together for a two week mini camp. They break us up into two teams. 
one team stayed there in Florida and the other team went up to Tennessee and we played in the short season. Oh, for yeah. about two and a half months. Mm. So, um, that was my first experience, uh, playing. So immediately I get there and again, I'm drafted as a shortstop again. And the shortstop from Dominican Republic is hands down quicker, yeah. faster. Um, and so I got moved to third base. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, so I made it through that season, um, went back to spring training, which was back in uh, Fort Myers. They just opened up the brand new stadium down there. And it's, and so I worked out down there for the, for the spring. Yeah. And I got stuck in extended spring training. I didn't make the A-ball club. And so I'll, here I am back down in Sarasota in the same league, which was fine. Yeah. Um, we had every Sunday off. It was beautiful. We were right, you know, pretty close to Siesta Key, one of the most beautiful beaches in Florida, and so it was a fun. We had a good time. Yeah, and you're 19. You're 19, and I know you, you know, you're not making gobs of money, but you're 19 years old. You're down in Florida. You're, you're, you're playing baseball, and you're, you're, you know, there's there's some money in your pocket. Maybe it's not a lot, but you're, you're still getting paid. To, right. That's so cool. Throw a little tiny cool. ball and hit a little tiny thing. You're getting paid money to do that. That's so cool. I played, I guess for me, I, I played baseball growing up too. I just wasn't anywhere near the caliber that, that you, that you were. And so I just think about it, man, that'd be, I don't know. Maybe it's a, every kid's fantasy who plays baseball to say, oh, I'd love to, oh, know, even at 19 years old to make a, a little bit of money in your pocket, be playing in a beautiful area and yeah, doing what you love. It's, uh, it's amazing. Pretty cool. So how's it work after, uh, you guys did that split, split squad and then you came back down and what, what was the process after that? Cause the season. It's, it's June-ish, right, is when you guys go. How long does the, the split season go for? Uh, basically the middle of June till the end of August. Okay. And so you, you hear uh, people talk about September call-ups. Yes. Well, most of your minor leagues end in, at the end of August or beginning of September. And so they uh, the roster, the major league roster is usually 24 people, I believe, if they haven't expanded it yet. Um, but they you actually have a four, what they call a 40-man uh, that are protected. And so a lot of times they'll bring up those other, they expand the, in September, they'll expand the rosters to 30 ish. Um, and so they'll bring some of those folks up that are on the 40 man roster and expand that roster in, in September. So that's the September call-ups as they call it. Some of the folks come up from double A AA or triple A for the playoff and, concepts. Yeah, exactly. And gives them an opportunity to see some of the younger, younger folks that for next year. So where did you go from from that that point of the season ends and now now what's your next step? So I go back home and find a job for get me through the <laughs> winter and continue to work out and then I go back to spring training and see what happens. So fortunately, um, down in down in uh, Sarasota, I had actually a really good year that second year, um, which kind of was my I, I'll, it's it's a memory that'll always stick with me. Last day of the season. <clears throat> they want to fly us all home immediately after the games. And so I was one of the first ones to supposed to be leaving. So I get told the night before your flight's early and you're not going to be able to play. Oh. I'm like, okay, that's fine. So I pack up all my suitcases cause I'm, you know, I'm packed up for two and a half, three yeah, months. Yeah. So I've got a couple suitcases plus all my equipment, get it all packed up. I show up to the park the next morning and I get called into the manager's office. Oh, no. I'm like, oh, oh what's going on yeah. now? That's usually never a good sign. Yeah, no. <laughs> so Joel Leppel, who was my manager at the time, he said, hey, uh, 
we've got a problem. I said, well, what's the problem? He said, you have to play today. I said, what? He said, yeah, you have to play today. I said, I've got all my stuff packed up. I'm ready to go home. And he said, yeah, but uh, you're only one point away from winning the batting title. Oh, and I no go, way. I go, what? He said, yeah, the guy that's leading the league right now on average is only one point ahead of you. Oh, wow. And if he doesn't play today, and you do, <laughs> he says, I've already done the math. He said, you get, if you get a hit in your first two, one, just one hit out of your first two at-bats, that's enough to put you ahead of him if he doesn't play. <laughs> I'm like, Look, really, I've got everything packed up. He says, go get dressed. <laughs> wow. Yes, sir. So I go in, I get dressed. We drive 45 minutes from Sarasota down to Port Charlotte, get off the bus or get out. We didn't even have buses. We had 15 passenger vans, yeah. two of them. <laughs> that was what we traveled in. <laughs> so I get off the van, we get stretched, we get ready. And he said, oh, by the way, you're leading off. I got to get you the quickest and best as possible. I said, okay. So I get up, I get loosened up. We finally get ready to play. I step in the batter's box, first pitch fastball. I hit a line drive. Right at the shortstop. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, ah. So we continue playing. I finally get back up. I've got, now I'm coming up. There's two outs, men on second and third. And he throws me a two-on-one pitch fastball on the outer half of the plate, and I hit it off the center field wall Nice for a triple. Yes. Both runs score, put us ahead. He immediately calls into the dugout to come out and get me a runner to come run for me. I go running in, grab all my stuff, throw it in a, in my little bag, jump into a van. The assistant coach drives me back to Sarasota. Didn't even finish the game. Just got your hit and let <laughs> got my hit. That was it. <laughs> Went back, got into, got to Sarasota, jumped in the shower, packed up all my stuff. He ran me to the airport. I went through security, dumped all my bags, ran down to the, uh, to the gate. And they were just calling last call for the my plane back to Illinois. Oh, my wow. gosh. So, did you win the batting title? He didn't play. <laughs> yes. So, yes, I won the batting title. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Louisville sent me a full-size bat on a plaque with all my information on it. That's and the bat- so cool. Gulf Coast champ batting title. Yeah, it was really nice. That's great. Yeah. Is that somewhere like you have it hanging in your house somewhere? Is it if you're like you know, now I, the 25 years later, like it's in the attic? Ironically, my dad actually put it up in the house back at home. And unfortunately, my parents have since passed, but my younger brother uh, moved into the house. Yeah. And so he's like, you need to take this stuff with you. <laughs> so yeah, it's sitting at the house now. That's awesome. I think that's a good segue into, um, can you kind of give us an explanation of how uh, minor league ball, how, how the different levels in minor league ball, A and double A and triple A and, and, and how that, how you traverse that, um, um, kind of that landscape of baseball and how you make it up, up to the, to the major league. Can you kind of, cause you know, I, I followed baseball most of my whole life and, and, uh, I, I don't know. I think it's just, uh, it kind of get your take on, on how it all works. So most of your organizations, at least back when I played, um, had six or seven minor league teams. And then that, that didn't include even some of the countries, uh, like the Dominican Republic and, and um, even Puerto Rico have actual teams down there as well. 
that we actually take and draft every year. We draft players out of those, um, and but they have actual teams down there. Each organization usually has one or two teams in those areas as okay. well. Uh, but in my case, the Twins uh, just in the United States had six different uh, minor league teams, wow. ranging from Triple A, Double A, two Single A clubs, usually High A and Low A is what they called it, and then usually they had the two rookie ball clubs. Uh, so, which is why when I first mentioned that I was in Florida and the other teams went to Tennessee, Tennessee was supposed to be a little higher level. Usually, most of your four-year college uh, guys and that kind of stuff, but it was still uh, low. A, I mean, actually, rookie ball. So, <clears throat> you basically play every year, and each year brings in. It doesn't matter what you do the year before; you still got to prove yourself. And uh, when organizations make changes or um, opportunities open up you move along and go through those steps. Now that doesn't say you have to go from rookie ball and work your way every step of the way. Right. Uh, there's a lot of guys that are in double A that will actually get called up in September, have a good time up in, in the major leagues and they're in that short period of time. And for whatever reason, they'll make a trade here or there and they're in the major leagues just right straight out of double A. Wow. So, but it is a long grinding uh, career depending yeah. on where you're drafted and, and all that takes place too so a first rounder is going to get a better look than a than a 27th rounder obviously <laughs> yeah. but um you know it, it is an interesting world uh very small you, you know you're in your own little world you don't yeah. really pay you're, you're playing every day and practicing every day and you don't really care what's going on in politics in the world the rest of the world you're yeah. just kind of in your every day is a new day and you just don't remember what day it is i know i watched <laughs> bull durham I saw that. I, have a, I think I have a good grasp on what's going on now. <laughs> Give me the ball. <laughs> Give me the ball. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. Uh, and obviously there's a lot of Hollywood in there, yeah. but there is a lot of truth to that too. Yeah. You know, the rundown buses and the long bus rides yeah. and yeah. 14, 15 hours sometimes sitting in the back of a bus and and then having to get up and play the next day. And yeah, it's it, it can, it's a grind. So at some point you make a transition, right, from player to coach. Can you kind of kind of lead us through that? Because that's a that's super fascinating to me as well. Um, well, let's back up. I get I uh, worked my way through uh, all the different leagues. I got to finally got to Double A with the Twins. Um, and ended up being in Nashville, Tennessee, the one and only year they had two teams in the same city. Uh, the Nashville Sounds always been in in, in Nashville, uh, and that's a Triple A club, and that was the White Sox back then. And uh, the Twins were supposed to be down. in if I remember right, down in New Orleans, and there were some changes made, and then they decided they weren't going there, and then they didn't have a stadium for us, and the, for the Twins. So Nashville decided to take us in. So we were the Nashville Express. So I go to spring training, made the double D club, uh, went to Nashville, it's had a decent decent season. And uh, I won't forget this. It was at the end of June, and we're supposed to make a two-day trip down to Huntsville, Alabama. And I'm, uh, I'm in the back, I get on the bus, got my little pillow, had a rough, you know, we had a long night the night before. And so I just was just trying to get some sleep before we had to play in, in Huntsville that night. And, uh, next thing I know, I said, uh, skip needs to see you off, uh, um, outside the bus. Oh no. I'm like, Oh, here yeah, we go. <laughs> here it is. So I get off and Phil Roof was our manager at the time. And he said, uh, Tom, I got some good news and some bad news. I said, okay, do I, which do I want first? <laughs> right. He's like, well, you're no longer a twin. The good news is you're a Cincinnati Red. 
And I go, yeah, right. Let's get on the bus and let's get to Huntsville. And he says, no, Tom, I'm not joking. You've been traded. I said, really? And he hands me a little piece of scrap paper with a name and a phone number. Oh, oh not just again. Like, <laughs> just like that. First. I'm like, well, what is going on? And then he hands me my paycheck, which we're not supposed to get for two more days. Oh, and you're I'm like, paid, you're he's out. serious. Wow. Yeah. And so everybody kind of gives me a hug. They hand me my equipment in a box fan box. <laughs> and now you're carrying it. And I'm looking at these guys and they all get on the bus and the bus rolls away. And there I stand what? with my little box fan full of my equipment, box fan box. Full it's, of like your, it's like your girl left you at the altar. <laughs> I mean, I <laughs> mean, really, that, I, it was, it was an interesting moment. And so I looked down at this piece of paper that had the name Jim Bowden. I don't know who that is. And it's and a phone number. So here I go trucking all the way back up to the front office, which is really the AAA office because yeah. yeah. we were just visitors. Um, and I said, is there a chance I could use a phone? And they're <laughs> like, who are you? <laughs> I said, well, I'm used to be playing with the express, but I apparently have been traded to the Cincinnati Reds and I need to call this name or this phone number. Well, yeah, there's an office right back there. Uh, help yourself. So I go back, I make the call, phone call, and I said, Cincinnati Reds, how can I help you? I said, I need to talk to Jim Bowden. Do you have an appointment? <laughs> oh, geez. I said, no, I was just handed this piece of paper and saying that I apparently have been traded, and I just needed to call him. Oh, one moment. Tom Houck, how are you doing? So this is Jim <laughs> Bowden, general manager of the Cincinnati Reds. And I'm like, uh, okay. Wow. Yeah. So he said, yeah, uh, welcome to the Cincinnati Reds. We appreciate you being with us. And uh, how are things going? I go, well, I'm just a little shocked. Yeah. Wasn't expecting that in AA yeah. being traded. Yeah. And uh, he's like, um, we're going to move you to the Chattanooga Lookouts. So in the same league that you're just playing in, the same team that I just got in a brawl with a week before. <laughs> no way. <laughs> That's a good so yeah, it was an interesting moment. <laughs> so he said, well, it looks like they're going to be in Knoxville for a couple of days. So it looks like you're going to have a couple of days off to get organized. And re I said, okay. He said, but uh, let me give you another phone number. I need you to call Jim, uh, Chief Bender. He's our player development director. And uh, he'll give you some more information. And welcome to the Cincinnati Reds. Wow. So I go home to my apartment because my roommate and I shared an apartment. And of course his wife was from there from Puerto Rico. She doesn't speak a word of English. I know <laughs> enough Spanish to get myself in trouble. So I go back trying to explain to her what's going on. And then, uh, I call that number once I got back to the apartment and he said, uh, yeah, it looks like you're in Nashville. Uh, how quickly can you get to Knoxville? I said, uh, I just got to get packed up here. It's about a two and a half hour drive. He says, great. Can you be there by five? And it's already almost noon. Oh, wow. What? I said, I'll do my best. So I pack up all my stuff, throw it in my little car, and here I am driving two and a half hours over to Knoxville. I get in there just just in time. The team's already out stretching. I walk in, put my bags down. One of the catchers is like, so where were you during the brawl? <laughs> <laughs> With my fist in your face? I was in the middle of the pile. Yeah. <laughs> Like, great, this is what I'm getting myself into. <laughs> so we ended up having a doubleheader that night. I played the second game, had a couple good hits and uh, a couple decent plays. And I'm not a Cincinnati Red 
wow. organization with the Double H Chattanooga Lookouts. So you, you <clears throat> mentioned that the, it getting getting being traded in um, in Double A or in the minor leagues doesn't happen very often, or it didn't happen very often back then. So is that why you're so surprised about the trade? Yeah, I just and normally your trades are you're at the big league levels. Yeah. Uh, once yeah. in a great while, you get a minor league uh, trade. I just happen to be the player to be named later. <laughs> I always see that. Yes, <laughs> player to be named later. Yes. Yeah. So this was a good trade. They wanted you. Yes. Yeah. Actually, the the manager actually did ask for me. Um, the manager from the lookouts, uh, the, the Chattanooga team, he had seen enough. And, and I, at that time I was more of a utility player. I yeah. pretty much played every position on yeah. the field. Um, and so, uh, liked what he saw and, and they, they needed a shortstop or, and they needed an infielder. Yeah. And so he asked me to be the player to be named later. <laughs> so, which, yeah. which could be, which could be like months, right? After the, after a trade happens, it could it's be, like, yes. like so long in advance that, Right. Oh, we're going to do that guy now. Like, that's so cool. Yeah. So how long were you there? So I played the rest of the season. Um, and that's where I actually met my lovely wife. Oh, great. At that time to be, um, <laughs> five days in, I meet her. She's in the front five office. days into the new team, into the new team. She's in the front office and I meet her for the first time. Wow. And so a buddy of mine walked, we were in there, uh, cause he had to go in and pick up his, his paycheck. Um, I just gotten mine from the twins and, uh, he said, let me introduce you to a couple of people. And he introduces to my wife and said, uh, yeah, this is Joe Lynn. I'm, I said, I'm sorry. What's your name? I said, is this Joe? And she goes, it's Joe Lynn. Oh, oh right, right, right off the bat. Done. Yep. <laughs> so we're not allowed to fraternize with the front office and they're not allowed to fraternize with the players. Sure. So fast forward two months, we're at a, uh, we have a day off, but they had a charity bowling tournament. Uh, and so I go to the bowling tournament and they put us with four other, uh, fans, uh, each of us players. And so she just happened to be right next to the lane I was bowling in. And my roommate at that time had just gotten released the night before. Uh, and he was one of the first ones that she had met when she started up there. And so she came over and asked me how he was doing and whatnot. And I said, oh, he's doing okay. I said, when we get done here, if you want, I'll just take you by and you can, you know, say goodbye or whatever. He and, and him and he and his wife. And she said, oh, that'd be great. And then we ended up going to dinner. I mean, uh, after we went there, I yeah. said, are you hungry? <laughs> I'm smart. Dinner. We, <laughs> we secretly dated for a month and a half. Oh, that's great. Until the season ended. And then she moved to the University of Tennessee Chattanooga as a director of ticketing and marketing for the sports so I didn't have to hide anymore. Yeah. What I, that is such a cool story. It like, is. you know, you don't know you're going to get traded. Yeah. It's like, Hey, you're yeah. on the bus. Here's your, here's your check and your <laughs> slip. Call this number. <laughs> and five days later after you, you, you meet her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was amazing. That's great. So you play how long, how long there? Uh, so I, I finished that season. Um, and then I went back to spring training. I made the club. I get all the way back to Chattanooga they put me back in double A again and I get off the bus and they said they made a trade and I'm being released. And, uh, the Reds call me back. They said somebody got injured and, uh, would you be willing to come back and play? I'm like, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I went back and played another season. Uh, that was the season that Michael Jordan was playing with, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. with yeah. the Barons, uh, with the White Sox. Mm-hmm. So I played the rest of that season. Went back to spring training then with the twins and uh, they invited me back for spring training and I ended up getting released. 
So then I went up and played in the Northern League, uh, which is an independent league yep. up in Duluth, Minnesota. Um, St. Paul Saints and those are all up in that area. And uh, while I was there, um, one of the owners of the independent club was also a scout for the San Diego Padres. And he came to me one day. He said, hey, uh, I met with the director of player development with the Milwaukee Brewers. And he's, you know, he's talking about possibly having player coaches. And I immediately thought of you with That's all awesome. your experience and yeah. everything. Uh, you'd be perfect for that. What, what, would you, what do you think about that? And I go, oh, that sounds like a great opportunity. Yeah. And he said, well, he wants to meet with you at the end of the season. Uh, would you be able to meet with him at some point? And I go, absolutely. I can drive back to Milwaukee on my way back to Illinois. And he's like, done. I'll, I'll set it up. And so I'll, Sure enough, I went back to, on my way back to Illinois, met with uh, Fred Stanley, who was the director of uh, uh, player development. And he said, uh, unfortunately, we don't, we think that player coaches is actually a conflict of interest. <laughs> you're going to be making decisions with the guys that you're actually playing with. And, and you uh, may bet on baseball. I mean, yeah, we had yeah. that debacle that <laughs> exactly. happened in the 80s. Hey, so. wait a minute. You can bet on baseball now. <laughs> <laughs> so he says, uh, if you're willing to retire, I may have a job for you. And I go, may? And he says, well, I won't know till the rest of the season is, yeah. you know, shakes out. And How old are you at this time? 26. Okay. And so uh, about three months later, I get a phone call. Hey, uh, we'd like for you to come to spring training and come to extended spring training and then go into uh, coaching the young kids out of after the draft. Wow. Either in Helena, Montana or Ogden, Utah. We have two teams in the same league. I'm like, what? <laughs> He's like, yeah, it's in, it's an interesting concept, but it works. I said, okay. So I signed a contract and wow. so the next year I was in, uh, that's how I ended up out here. So my, we, and my wife and I got married the next month after I met with, met with him initially, uh, in Milwaukee, we got married in September. And so here we go, we pack everything up and we moved to uh, we'd come to spring training because she was still in baseball. She would move down to Mobile, Alabama and was working on an independent team down there. Okay. And two weeks before I'm supposed to report to spring training, that team folded. It's like, Oh, what do we do? Yeah. So we packed up all of our stuff that from our little apartment that we had threw it in storage, took one of my cars over to her cousin's house and we drove the other car out here. So did you go, did you wind up going to Helena or to Ogden? The first year I was in Ogden. Okay. As a, so I was the infield and hitting coach. Okay. And so I spent the, came out for spring training and what they call extended spring training. So you have about 25 guys that don't make a roster at a ball, but they're still good enough to, they're still young enough to, to develop. And, yeah. and so they keep them down in what they call extended spring training. And so I'm basically here coaching those young kids, uh, and all the other organizations do the same thing. So we, we basically play like a mini league. It just doesn't yeah, count. Yeah. And so we, we develop them during, and then we have the June draft. We bring them in for the two week mini camp and we split them up into two teams and one team is an Ogden. Full cycle now. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so how long did you do that? Uh, so I coached the first two years in Ogden. Okay. And then, uh, at the end of the second year, uh, they came to me and said, Hey, we want you to manage the Helena club next year. Wow. And I said, really? Really? Like a big boss. Yeah. I'm like, okay, that sounds great. I'm game. Wow. So, hey. so I go up to 
we go to you know spring training and now I'm managing one of the clubs and so I'm through you know going through extended what was perfect about that is I was here till June every yeah. year so yeah. I was only gone for two and a half months it worked out great for my wife and I but now here I am the manager they gave me a brand new rookie uh outfield coach a brand new rookie pitching coach <laughs> and a brand new trainer <laughs> jeez with so, a brand new manager yeah and a brand new manager <laughs> here we go so it actually worked out. We, you know, we didn't play as well as we'd hoped, but we, we played hard and had a great time and had a few injuries that set us back. And, um, so at the end of the season, uh, they asked me, um, would you want to keep managing or do you want to go back as the infield and hitting coach? And I really loved Ogden. Yeah. I said, you know what, I'm going to go back and, and coach because the other, uh, the other manager at that time was Eddie Cedar who'd been third base coach for the last several years with Milwaukee. Now um, he was the manager for that, that club. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go work with him. Yeah. So we had a great time, enjoyed that fourth year. And, and then uh, unfortunately they made some changes. Uh, Bud Selig became the commissioner of baseball. Yeah. He was actually the owner of the, of the Brewers mm-hmm. and they had to get rid of him. Right. He had to give up his, his rights oh. to the team. So mm-hmm. he gave it to his, um, I believe his daughter. And she made some changes in the front office and got rid of the field manager. And Sal Bando was a general manager at the time, and that didn't go over well. She basically overstepped his job, and so he ended up resigning. He brought in a new GM, and and then the domino effect happened. Right. Yeah. So my contract didn't get renewed. So here I am. My wife and I just bought a house. Oh, no. So had you bought a house in Ogden, or did you, had you come here already? We already were still here. So let me back up then. How did you... Because you, you, you got the offer to go to either Missoula or Ogden. How did you find your way to the Valley? So we came here in 96 for okay. spring training. Okay. And then she was able to get a good job, and we just okay. made this our okay. home base. Yeah. yeah. I was only up there for two and a half months. So okay. I'd only, and then she would come up halfway through the season to kind of break up the season. So it worked out really well. Yeah. But yeah, we ended up, this was home base. So okay. we finally bought a house thinking, oh, you know, my career is going to continue. And she's <laughs> got a good job, and, and now I don't have a contract. Oh my God. So what do I do? I go find out that the Mesa school district's hiring bus drivers. So I, they were hiring and they were teaching you how to drive a bus. So that's what I did for the first month. Yeah. And then, uh, here's your application slides over (laughs) the application to me. I'm like, Oh wow. Yeah. This is getting real now. And so that's what I, I filled it out, went through the testing process, went through the oral boards, passed all that. Yeah. I'm like, uh, this is getting interesting. So I saw that city of uh, Scottsdale was actually hiring. And so I went through the whole same process and was this about 2000, right at 2000, okay. February, 2000. And so, yeah, I fast forward, Scottsdale put me through the process and then I get a phone call. Hey, uh, as long as you pass the physical and uh, with the doctor and in yeah. the psychological exam, we want to hire you. And I'm next thing on February, I'm in the, I'm in the academy. Wow. <laughs> that quick. It was. It was that you, quick. You were just about to be with Tempe, and we snagged and got gotcha. you. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Mm-hmm. This is one of the more depressing uh, podcasts that I've done because I realized <laughs> how just pathetically normal my life has been. And, uh, like, Tom has so many, like, it's such a cool <laughs> story to how you got here. I mean, the the... The, the crazy baseball journey. I mean, the notes off the bus yeah. that you've been traded. Right. I mean, right. find your wife five days later and who's going to be your wife five days after you, you're traded and 
managing baseball and what a cool story, Tom. That's fantastic. And so I, I like to, I always try to connect what we do here with, you know, with a particular story. And so your story, I think just it, it what we do in the, in the police department and kind of that, that community service, but you've got to see in your 23 year career here. Um, my assumption is like most of us in Scottsdale PD, you've, you've worked spring training games as an officer for the giant, you know, at the giants. Yeah. And, and how do you, I mean, when you, when you're working those games, yeah. Um, and, and all the different capacities, probably you've, <clears throat> different assignments you've worked at the games. You you see you look at that. It's got to be quite different than how I look at it. Yes, it is. Uh, I, I and it's funny you say that. Uh, Ken Strohmeyer and I and and uh, Mark Johnson uh, a few years back we went down to Tucson um, to get some extended training on some of the equipment that we have. They just happened to Tucson was hosting in a. A uh, little conference down there, and ha- and brought in uh, the folks from the equipment that we were using, and so we went down there to get some ex- extended training, and so it just happened to be during the playoffs, and so uh, we went to dinner and and we were sitting there and, and watching the actually the playoffs, and so I'm making comments, you know, here, here's a two one, he's going to throw him a fastball right here. <laughs> And sure enough, that it was, and, and so Ken kind of looks over at Mark and says, "This kind of brings a whole new light to the game, doesn't it?" Because <laughs> <laughs> so when we look at the ball, you're like, "It's a spinning ball," where <laughs> you're like, "No, it's a fastball." Still looks like a spinning ball to me. Yeah, it's just such a you know, and, and we we've been fortunate, I think, uh, and maybe it's that there's a, and you can speak to this. There just seems to be a correlation, you know, to a team sport like baseball and then getting into the police department, which is very much a team sport. Right. And and that, that camaraderie, do you see the, do you see those similarities yourself? Absolutely. You know, I mean, it's a different camaraderie, but it is that same thing. I always joke about the fact that I traded one uniform for another. Um, and really that's what I did. You know, you still, you're still family. You're still spent, I spend more time with my guys in in the office than I do with my own, my own family. Um, you know, especially this time of the year when I'm working 12, 14 hour days, standing at the open and at Barrett Jackson and whatnot, my wife and I are two ships passing in the wind. And and so, yeah, you, you you develop a real tight knit group, especially when you, you know, when you're in a specialty unit, um, you, you become a secondary family. I just had so many thoughts, uh, you know, about that because we, we have, um, a number of people come to mind, you know, before we, before we started recording, we talked about commander Matt Evans and his time with the, uh, I think he, uh, he got drafted by the Detroit Tigers. Right. And I, and I think of other people, uh, one of our bike officers, Don Vishwani or, or Darren Hyman. Uh, I think of people like, uh, yeah, Rob Katzroff right. or, you know, some on the, um, kind of on the umpire side, I think Darren's gone to the umpire side, yep, but yep. Uh, former, uh, retired Sergeant Mike Snader, who was, uh, mm-hmm. And, and I, forever, I'm sure, I'm sure there, there are many others, but it seems like we've, you know, we've, we've really gotten kind of our share of former professional baseball players or, or umpires that, that said, you know, uh, policing is a, there's a similar component of that uniform camaraderie right. team, uh, heading toward the same goal, but, uh, man, super cool. Hey, it's funny. You mentioned Mike Snader. He, uh, he was actually an umpire, uh, in the Midwest league when I was playing there. That's awesome. <laughs> so yeah, we, we talked quite a bit, you know, about that. You know, and I remember him just very well because we actually took a, a, a bus from Kenosha, Wisconsin. We played a game in Kenosha. And then very, that same day we jumped on a bus. Well, he and his partner, Andy, who actually made it to the major leagues as an umpire, they rode with our bus all the way up to Minnesota. We spent the night 
after the Twins game, we went down and played uh, against the team that we were playing in Kenosha. They had traveled too, and we played a game in the Metrodome. And Andy and, and uh, Mike Schneider were the umpires. Stop That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So Stop. cool. This is yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, just <laughs> – and it's, then just, it's a very a whole, small world. Yeah, a whole yeah. bunch of years yeah. later, you find yourself both as police officers for the city of Scottsdale. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's madness. And it- that's a wrap. Talking baseball and collisions with Detective Hauk. We hope this helps you drive safer today. Remember, don't text and drive, but keep those eyes on the road. Now let's jump to today's four reels questions. This are this are good time where are we good get to questions know, for us. We get to know you and just fun, silly answers. So. We call this our four reels section. Yeah, he, he's always got some, you know, what superhero do you <laughs> want to be, you know. So, and he he never shares these with me beforehand. So, um, I'm just as clueless as you are about it. Yep, you don't have those on your thing. So, kind of whatever pops into your head, it's just kind of to find out just a little bit more about you for fun. This is kind of more philosophical. Oh, great. Here we go. I, I hit these How questions this time. This one. What do you feel has been your greatest win so far in life? My greatest win... That's a, you know, good for you. Connect wow. that to like baseball and a, yeah, good for you. Okay. I even quoted win. Yeah. Uh, I would definitely say my best friend and, and spouse, my lovely wife, definitely my biggest win. Good for you. hundred percent. hundred percent. Same uh, is the, that's that one decision. I mean, hers, not mine. Um, her, her, her deciding, you know, that I was worthy enough to be with her, uh, Everything else in my life has, uh, everything from in my life positive has sprung from that moment. You know, I was stupid and we met when, when we were 14 years old in high school, Horizon High wow. School here in the Valley, North Phoenix, 56 and Greenway, go Huskies. Um, yeah, everything in my life positive has, uh, has sprung from that moment. That's my biggest win far and away. Would you rather be perceived as being kind, smart, or attractive? Kind. There's a lot of uh, seven deadly sin concepts in there, right? Yeah, I'd have to go with kind as well. Yeah. Smart, that's okay. Uh, did you say it was the other one attractive? You noticed I didn't even go with that one because <laughs> that's not, that, that attractive in me is not something that I've ever connected in my life. So uh, I, I never had it, never, don't, don't need it. It's a perception. It's fine. All right, which book or movie impacted you the most growing up? Book-wise, I'd have to say The Outsiders. Oh, great, oh, yeah, great book yeah. and movie. It was a good movie. Uh, movie, Red Dawn, the original with Patrick Swayze, rest in peace. Uh, C. Thomas Howell, yeah, uh, uh, Charlie Sheen, yeah, Powers Booth, yeah, Red Dawn. It's probably why uh, my wife and I consider ourselves to be um, – Preppers. Into emergency, excuse you, <laughs> emergency preparedness, because you never know when the Russians are going to invade. <laughs> Do you think cats have any regrets for their actions? Zero. Absolutely not. None. <laughs> no. Because they're always trying to kill you. They're always in boss mode. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What movie sequel, because I love movies, what movie sequel would you erase from history? Yeah. Red Dawn Part 2. <laughs> Are you kidding me? That was awful. 
You don't take you don't take Red Dawn, a, a cinematic gem, and redo it with Thor and 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 the North Koreans and no, absolutely not. Red Dawn part Red Dawn this whatever remake remake yeah gone erased forever. <laughs> See, I'd have to say Caddyshack too. Another good I mean, one. You a, don't Caddyshack was a classic. Yes, you yeah, d- you don't. Yeah, you don't, don't mess with a classic. No, we saw two before we saw one. Ooh. So I didn't even know that one existed when we saw two because I was, you know, an infant when one came out. Right. I will tell you just on the same theme because it's recent. Best sequel. Maverick. Ooh, I would have to. He, here's why. Yeah. And my wife and I, we joke around about this is that she and I saw Top Gun. Mm-hmm. We were 16 years old. Oh, wow. Uh, and we saw it in the theater. And then fast forward. 36 years later, we saw Top Gun 2 Maverick in the theater together with the same lead actor, and he killed it. I mean, and, he was amazing. looks exactly the it. same. Yeah. So um, weird, right? 36, 36 years apart, but uh, wow. anyway. So what's your best sequel ever? Best sequel. Hmm. It's tough because they, they seem to yeah. always do a sequel yeah. for every yeah. movie now. Major See, League Two. <laughs> <laughs> I started to get to like Major League Seven or something. <laughs> um, I grew up with Star Wars. Oh, yeah. I was, that was one of the first movies that I got to see as a young child. My wonderful cousin took me. She was probably 16 or 17 at the time, maybe 18. I was, I can't, I'm trying to remember when it came out. Yeah. 1977, the first one came out. Oh, you're going to get Kevin there to start go. geeking out right so now. This in, is going to get so him yeah, I, was, in I was eight. And so, yeah, I, I was a big Star Wars guy. When the when the Empire came out in 1980, I wasn't alive yet. But I, <laughs> but growing, I was I was 10 <laughs> in 1980. I was zero. I was, 11. I was minus numbers. <laughs> um, one of the biggest things growing up is being such a uber Star Wars geek. With it is I didn't appreciate Empire Strikes Back until I became older and understanded the actual complexities behind that storyline, which was which was fascinating for me. Tom, I can't thank you enough for being here. It was uh, this was terrific. I learned a lot. Of, you know, when you started in uh, in two thousand here, right? And and I started in nineteen ninety four. So our, our our paths have crossed, you know, throughout the years over the last twenty three years. But uh, just in the last hour or so, I got to know more about you in that time um, than 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 any time before. And and what a what a real treat for me, and I know for for uh, Kevin too to to kind of go, you know, walk with you down memory lane and connect that to spring training here in Scottsdale, and you're all of your experience. I can't thank you enough for being here. It's really, uh, it's really been a treat. No, it's been a, been a pleasure for me as well. I've enjoyed actually going down memory lane. Yeah. So it's been great. Terrific. Yeah. To all our listeners out there. Um, and to Kevin. Thanks, Kevin. Good, <laughs> good job. Yeah. You, you know, usually I'm all over you about star Wars and all kinds of things like that, but, uh, good, good questions. Good yeah. questions. To all our listeners out there. Thanks uh, for listening to us uh, another month. We have a really good time doing the show and, and connecting with our community and talking about, Scottsdale, Scottsdale Police Department and all the different community connections that we have. We're going to be bringing out some more, some more of our employees as we, as we traverse uh, the calendar year 2023. Can't believe it's almost March already. Yep. And uh, just take care of each other. You know, I know, I, I know I get a little preachy at the end of these, but a lot of craziness in the world right now, a lot of, a lot of division, a lot of, a lot of craziness. And so um, we're seeing an uptick in violence in our city. Uh, you know, with Tom here in particular, we're seeing a lot of collisions, a lot of high-speed collisions, a lot of people racing and doing some crazy things on our roadways. 
just be mindful of one another, take care of one another. And remember that every day offers each of us the opportunity to be more in the service of others. So take care of one another and we'll see you next month. Thank you for listening to Shop Talk episode 19. Enjoy the nice cool weather and spring training and leave a comment on one of our social media platforms at Scottsdale PD and tell us who your favorite baseball team is. Until next time, remember to be more.